everyone and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. And this week on Full Circle, we will hear about two stories from two local communities. On tonight's show, we'll hear how the city of Antioch City Council just passed anti-harassment and anti-retaliation ordinances to protect tenants from negligent or abusive landlords. We'll also hear an interview from graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco that was part of her time hosting the national show Flashpoints here on KPFA. She speaks with an employee of a Petaluma bookstore about how they found flyers containing hate speech placed inside books on their bookshelves. And we will be asking for your support for this remarkable radio station, KPFA. That's tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewell and Franklin. I'm coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. Yes, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Pre Willen Franklin, and I will be your host tonight. And before I get on with the show, as they say, I wanted to thank everybody that donated to KPFA over these past couple weeks and last week during the hour of Full Circle as well. Big shout out to my Antioch community who came out big for me and for us here at the station. I thank you all and to the community at large who also stood up for not only KPFA, but also this show full circle. Again, thank you all very much. And if you didn't get a chance to donate last week, we did come up a bit short of our goal during this fun drive. If you are moved to make a donation tonight, please head over to kpfa.org and click on that donate tab to make a financial contribution to keep this important media outlet going, KPFA. Uh, If you wish to call, the phone number is 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. But I will remind you all that our online donation system is the easiest way to make a donation, and it's also the best way for KPFA to collect donations since we don't have to go through a third-party call center. Again, head on over to kpfa.org and make a donation if you are able, and we will greatly appreciate that. But now we will get on with the show, as they say, and the city of Antioch is back in the news, and this time for a a momentous victory for housing and tenants' rights advocates. 
The city of Antioch has been in a back and forth with housing rights advocates for rent control, anti-retaliation policies, and just cause for eviction for just about three years now. And at the Antioch City Council meeting this past week, organizers rallied for what they hoped would be a night of victory as the city of Antioch had anti-harassment and anti-retaliation ordinance on the agenda. Antioch has a large population of rental units, either single-family homes or apartments and duplexes, and the city of Antioch also has the highest rate of evictions in Contra Costa County. I was there last Tuesday at the rally and inside the city council meeting. Check out this audio as the community comes together and fights for its rights and wins. On Tuesday, July 25th, the Antioch City Council was set to hear a motion to introduce an ordinance prohibiting retaliation and harassment of residential tenants by their landlords. The night started off with a rally outside City Council held by ACE, the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. Also, ECRG, who has now transformed into Rising Juntos or Rising Together. The two tenants' rights organizations rallied outside City Hall alongside tenants. Up next, we'll hear speakers from that rally, including organizers and Antioch residents who are tenants in apartment complexes, which are the target of these new ordinances. Hello everyone, my name is Teresa Farias, Antioch resident and member of Rising Juntos, formerly known as the East County Regional Group. ¿Cómo se sienten? How are you feeling? ¿Ya listos para ganar esta política de antiacoso? Are you ready to win this anti-arrestment policy? Llevamos ya dos años en esta pelea por un hogar digno y seguro para las familias de Antioch y nos han tomado y nos ha tomado mucho llegar hasta donde estamos esta noche. Muchas felicidades. We have been fighting for two years now for a dignified and safe home for Antioch families, and it has taken us a long time to get to where we are tonight. Congratulations, everyone! Logramos un control de renta el año pasado, y aunque fue una gran victoria, sabemos que no es suficiente. Se necesita urgentemente una política de antiacoso. We achieved rent control last year, and although it was a great victory, we know that it is not enough. An anti-harassment policy is urgently needed now. Es justo que nuestros hijos vivan en, condi en malas condiciones? No. no. Is it fair for our children to live in poor conditions? No. no. O que tengamos miedo cada vez que pedamos reparaciones? No. Or for us to be fearful every time we ask for repairs? No. Es por eso que estamos aquí esta noche para pedir al consejo que haga la 
que haga lo correcto y voten a favor de la política antiacoso hoy mismo. ¿Verdad que sí? Sí. That's why we're here tonight, to ask council to do the right thing and vote for the anti-harassment policy today, right? Agradecemos al personal de la ciudad por habernos escuchado y regresar con una política muy fuerte a la cual apoyamos. We thank the city staff for listening to us and coming back with a very strong policy which we support. Pero también que no se olviden que nuestro trabajo no ha terminado. Nos falta causa justa y la esperamos para el mes de septiembre, ¿verdad? Sí. But also let us not forget that our work is not finished. We still need just cause and we expect it for the month of September, right? Yeah. Ahora están listos para llevar esta política hasta la victoria. Are you guys ready to take this anti-harassment policy to victory? Yeah. Yeah. Si están conmigo, griten, si se puede! Si se puede! Si se puede! Si se puede! As the rally was breaking up to move inside the council chambers, I spoke with Rochelle Pierre. She's the chair of the newly formed group Rising Juntos, or Rising Together, formerly known as ECRG, that's the East County Regional Group. This is what Rochelle Pierre had to say before heading into the city council meeting. All right, this is Prevon Franklin out here for uh, KPFA Radio, and we are back at the Antioch City Council. The, um, the fight is still on for uh, anti-harassment policy here in the city of Antioch, and the city of Antioch tonight has it on the agenda as a public hearing and I'll let you introduce yourself and your uh, title and um, real quick. My name is Rochelle Pierre. I am the chair of Rising Juntos and a former member of East County Regional Group. All right, and so East County Regional Group is now Rising Juntos and that is Rising Together, right? Rising Together, All yes. Right. And um, tell us what you guys are expecting tonight as uh, many people familiar with KPFA have been following this story. This has been happening for a period of a like a couple of years now, 18 months, two years that you've been fighting for these um, these tenant protections. Um, real quick, list what you have won and then we'll talk about what we're hoping for tonight. So we did won a very strong rent control last year. So rents cannot go up more than 10% and um, they can't raise higher than the inflation rate. So it's gonna help families who don't make more but um, are still living in the same places, so. And talk, and talk about how important that was out here and what you were seeing in Antioch before you got that. Antioch has the highest rate of evictions in the county. And so with that, it has really halted it because people are now affording their rents. All right, well, congratulations uh, on that victory. Now talk about what else you've been fighting for tonight because um, I've watched the back and forth with the anti-harassment. It seems like it's about to happen, then it doesn't. Um, what are you expecting tonight with this public hearing? We are asking city council to do what's right. They're bringing a policy before us. We kind of like what we see. We're asking to add a couple of extra things. Tenants have been living with uh, inhabitable conditions, rats, rodents, un leaky faucets, plumbing. And so we're just asking that when they go to ask their landlords for those things to be repaired, that they don't get backlash, that they don't get harassment. And so we're asking our city council to do the right thing and protect us with this policy. Yeah, and if you can, kind of describe um, 
tenant harassment. What what can people experience if they're being harassed? You just kind of gave one example that someone may say, "Oh, there's mold over here. Um, can I get this mold taken care of?" And they may say that they want the um, you to move out. And sorry, you have to find a new place to live. What else can happen to people experiencing harassment? People have. Um been called names, people have been harassed physically, people um, definitely have been threatened to lose their housing, Ten, uh, landlords are walking in, invading their privacy without notice, and just harassing tenants, towing cars, just leaving the places inhabitable, no plumbing, turning lights off, things like that, and this is really going on right now. So. We want to make sure that it stops and that there's a consequence so that it deters landlords who aren't good because there are some good landlords, but the ones who are doing this to stop and that they'll have a penalty for that. Now, you mentioned there's some things that you saw that you liked in this policy. Can you point a couple of those out? And then you also mentioned that there was a couple of things that you all be asking for. So um, what are some of the, um, the things in the policies uh, that you're looking at that you are all satisfied with because I understand they were going to increase possibly increase the penalties for people um, that violated the harassment laws again what is it that you're seeing that you like and then if you can what are you going to be asking to add we we're definitely seeing that there's going to be more uh, higher fines for landlords who do that there is going to be hopefully a registry so they are being tracked so we're liking that but we also want to put stuff like to make sure that the language that the landlords communicate to people are in their language because that's another form of harassment um, we're also wanting to see that um, that repairs are made um, on time, that they're not invading privacy, that there aren't any slurs, any discriminatory language. Um, these are things we want to just add in there just to make it clear what harassment is so that they can't be confused when this policy is, is completed. And is there anything that you'd like to add before I let you get in? It sounds like the crowd is moving into the meeting now. I just want the city council to do the right thing and pass this tonight and so that we won't be coming back here for this one again. All right. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Once the city council meeting and the public hearing on the anti-harassment ordinance was underway, the proponent or the person speaking in favor of the anti-harassment motion was Ethan Silverstein. He is a staff attorney for ACE, the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. All right. Good evening, Council, City Attorney. Uh, my name is Ethan Silverstein. I'm a staff attorney at the ACE Institute. Um, we work on tenants' rights issues across the state of California. Um, I also personally litigate cases under Oakland and Richmond's tenant anti-harassment ordinances, which I believe this ordinance took a lot of inspiration from. Um, so as you are all well aware, Antioch is not the first city to propose anti-harassment protections. These protections are becoming more and more popular uh, even places Sacramento's considering one, both the city and the county. Chula Vista just passed a tenant anti-harassment ordinance. Uh, it's becoming apparent that tenants cannot live in these hostile living environments. Just as it was once viewed as okay for, for workers to be working in hostile work environments, it's not anymore. We evolve and we pass laws to solve these problems. So I'll tell you what normally happens uh, when my team gets an ordinance that a city passes. We, you know, monitor the agenda, and when we see the first draft, we put our hands in our head and go, why did they do this? Oh, this isn't going to work. There's a problem here. 
that's never going to hold up in court. Um, and then, you know, we need to go to city council. When we got this ordinance, we looked at it and said, this one's pretty good. Uh, it's good the way it is. It has all the things we need to protect tenants. Uh, so just compliments to city attorney, fine ordinance. Um, and I'll tell you why it is a fine ordinance. It has the three components that are necessary in any tenant anti-harassment ordinance. First, it needs a reasonable standard for the violation. So here, if you can show the landlord acted in bad faith in doing whatever conduct they did, that's what you need to prove. And we feel that's reasonable. Uh, we feel it's a reasonable standard that the courts can enforce and interpret uh, as appropriate for the given situation. Two, you know, we capture enough violations. Uh, we capture the very serious ones, you know, the assaults, the, the violence, the threats, but we also capture the hostile living environment violations, the refusing to accept rent for no reason. Um, I also think it's really admirable that this ordinance includes violations that are unique to Antioch. You know, things about towing cars, things that really represent a lot of the tenant stories that you've been hearing here uh, throughout this process. It's very clear that the city reacted to that and is not just copying and pasting from another city. It's uh, really responding to the needs of the community. And finally, it has a third element, uh, remedies that can be used when a landlord violates the ordinance. Uh, the remedies are borrowed from cities like Oakland and Richmond. They're pretty standard, but they work. Uh, there are monetary remedies, there are injunctions, and there's attorney's fees, so that if a tenant is subjected to bad faith tenant harassment, they don't need to pay an attorney out of pocket. And that's crucial to making sure tenants are able to actually use this ordinance as written. Um, as someone who litigates under these ordinances, again, I'll say this is a good ordinance. Um, you know, we could tweak little things here and there, but at this point, we, we think it should be passed as is. It's very good, it's very strong. That's something I rarely get up at city councils and say, is this is great, uh, but I'm doing it. Um, I, I think it's a wonderful ordinance. Um, I also wanna touch on some of the landlord fairness issues, which I do think is important. While I am a tenant advocate, I understand that when we pass, and I, not we, we don't do this, but when extreme laws are passed, it can undermine what we're trying to do. And here there is aspects of fairness to the landlords. Um, again, any violation has to be done in bad faith. So, you know, it's a violation to refuse to do repairs, but if a landlord's, you know, contractor cancels and the repair isn't done, that's not in bad faith. It's not a violation of the ordinance. Um, if you refuse, you know, didn't collect rent because you were on vacation, that, that's a mistake. It's not bad faith. Um, so that's the baseline for establishing a violation is bad faith conduct. So a lot of landlords might say, well, they'll, they'll sue us for this, they'll sue us for that. It's, if I don't do a repair, it's harassment. No, it's, it's bad faith conduct. That is the baseline for any violation of this ordinance. Um, two, we, we also hear a lot of stories about this hypothetical bad actor tenant, the one who makes up a story and files a frivolous lawsuit. Um, this ordinance actually has some protections for that, uh, for this hypothetical that we have, I know, I've never seen it firsthand. Um, but if the landlord can prove this is a frivolous case, it was devoid of merit, and the tenant is you know, playing games, the landlord can collect their attorney's fees from the tenant. Um, and we don't oppose that uh, as tenants' rights activists because we know that doesn't really happen. Uh, and if it does happen, there's a remedy. 
Um, so I'll try not to go the whole uh, remainder of the five minutes, but I guess I'd just like to preempt a few of the things you may be hearing from some landlord advocates, some trade associations, professional trade associations who may be present tonight. The first talking point on anti-harassment you're gonna hear is this is unnecessary, it's duplicative, and it's already illegal. And I would just say, if it's so unnecessary, if it truly does nothing, then, then why come out tonight? How many trade associations mobilize all their members for something that is unnecessary and doesn't do anything? Um, some of these acts are already illegal, but there is a difference between something being illegal and something being, you know, something an average tenant can enforce. And I'll, I'll just give a little example. Um, imagine if the penalty for shoplifting was, you know, if you go to court, you know, they prove you shoplifted, you have to go to store and give back what you took. Shoplifting's already illegal in that context, but we all know that that wouldn't be sufficient to deter shoplifting. That's the situation we have with tenant harassment here, especially with some of these hostile living environment violations, is that these acts are illegal, but the average tenant can't do anything about it because the remedies are so slim, and they usually end up fighting an eviction court often without an attorney. So I want to get that talking point out of the way. Uh, the other one, you're going to hear that there's bad actor tenants and there's bad actor tenant attorneys uh, that were out there just looking to prey on these small landlords when they slip up. Um, again, bad faith violations and you know the possibility of the landlord recovering all their legal costs if there is truly a bad faith case. We do not object to that. And the final talking point, which I want to highlight tonight, which I find quite honestly, uh, pretty offensive, is there's a talking point that has been going around more and more that tenants just need to be educated, that they don't know their rights, and they should know this is already illegal. I find this point so offensive because the tenants in this room, they know their rights. The tenants here are educated. Who, who in this room feels they are uneducated on tenants' rights? You know, <laughs> these tenants, know their rights, and it is so offensive to have people from large trade associations come here and say, the reason these tenants think they need these rights is because they're uneducated and they don't know the law. Because that is not true. These tenants know the law, and they know what they're living with. They know their living conditions, and they know they haven't been able to stop it yet. Um, so I'll leave you with that. I'll uh, cut out two minutes early, and thank you so much for putting on a great ordinance tonight. Thank you. After Ethan spoke, the community came out for public comment. The overwhelming majority was in favor of the anti-harassment and anti-retaliation ordinance. With a few exceptions were the California Apartment Association representative and some mom-and-pop landlords. Up next, we'll hear from Rhea McLaughlin of the newly formed Rising Juntos. Good evening, Mayor, Council, staff, and community. My name is Rio with the newly launched Rising Juntos. We are an independent, community-powered organization building healthy, safe, and equitable communities. And on behalf of all of us who have advocated for affordable and safe housing, I would like to thank you for this anti-harassment ordinance and responding to tenants' needs. This ordinance makes huge strides towards keeping children and families housed with dignity. With this ordinance, no longer can landlords abuse their power with impunity. 
No longer can they take renters' money and in return violate privacy, keep substandard conditions, and mentally torment tenants with harassment and degrading discrimination. And the best part of it is that if you are a good landlord, this doesn't affect you. This policy is possible because of all of us. Thank you to staff and to the city attorney's office, to Rachel for your hard work. We trust in the competence of the city attorney's office and especially in your expertise over a non-attorney landlord corporate lobbyist. Thank you to council for supporting renters up until this point. And most of all, thank you to the fierce and brave tenants that have come here month after month sharing your pain, your vulnerability, and standing up to make this city strong and make change for all tenants across the city. This is a good policy. We support it, and we hope that you'll waive the second reading so families have relief as soon as possible. Lastly, we hope Just Cause continues to be a priority. We understand there's a lot happening, but hopefully the work can be contracted out or solutions can be found to move this forward and bring it back in September. For now, please vote for this policy. Thank you for supporting children and families. Thank you. After nearly two hours of public comments, the city council talked amongst themselves to iron out what they thought were a few bugs within the ordinance. And then District 1 representative and Mayor Pro Tem Tamisha Torres Walker made the motion to pass the ordinance and added her comments. Councilmember Torres Walker. Yes, thank you. Thank you, everybody um, who came out, Ten tenants, landlords, um, attorneys alike. This is a hard decision to make. We've been going through this for almost three years, coming back and forth, tenants coming back and forth, attorneys for landlords coming back and forth, finally landlords appearing in the room and even Mayor Thorpe attempting a meeting between landlords, nonprofits, service providers, <laughs> and tenants. So the very meeting that um, Councilwoman Orgachak is requesting our mayor attempted and I wasn't there so whatever reason for whatever reason I don't know why it didn't why it didn't work but everybody who felt like they represented a certain constituency was in that room and for some reason we couldn't come to an agreement at that point not all landlords are slumlords seeking to get rich, just like not all tenants are trying to skirt the responsibility of agreements initially made in good faith between tenants and landlords. Bootstrap and oppression Olympics narratives cannot continue to work on these issues. Poor people and working people are the consumers of landlords. I was in foster care, I was homeless, I was a renter for over 16 years before I became a homeowner and I'm one mortgage payment missing away from losing my home. So when people get up here and say you could be next, even if you are a homeowner, that, that, is, that is real. 
I hate that landlords feel like they need to abandon their business here in Antioch based on public policy that is centering the needs of, of some of our most vulnerable residents. But what I will, what my plea to you is if you do decide to sell your business, which is currently what people are calling their home, that you would consider working with a first-time homeowner program or nonprofit and rent those businesses or homes out to tenants and people who are working class, low income, and looking to become first-time homeowners. With that being said, I would like to make a motion, um, and city attorney, you can let me know. Um, it's the recommended action, right? I would like to make a motion that the city Council introduced by title only and waive further um, reading of the ordinance, adding chapters four and five of title 11 of the Antioch Municipal Code prohibit, prohibiting retaliation and harassment of residential tenants. Accepting the, mayor, the, the mayor's three motions. Three Do you want to repeat the motion? I'll go ahead and second that. All right, there's a motion by council. The council then proceeded to take their vote, excluding Mike Barbanica, who recused himself as he deals in real estate. And the vote was read out loud by the city clerk. All right, there's a motion. There's a substitute motion by, by Vice Mayor Torres Walker, saying by Council Member Wilson. Um, Madam Deputy Clerk, were you clear on the motion? All right. If there's no further discussion, please cast your votes. Okay. The motion with amendments passes 3-0 with Borgatok voting no. Um, just, a, just a second, just a second. Just, just a second before the party start, you know, in this public space. I, I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't take this time to thank Councilmember Barbanica for recusing himself from this process. He is still here. He been sitting. He's been sitting in the back. <laughs> and, um, and sitting through this process, and it was absolutely the right thing to do. So thank you, Councilmember Barbanica. All right, thank you, everybody. And yes, it was a victory for Rising Juntos, Ace, and the tenants. And outside, I got a quick word from Rochelle Pierre, the chair of the newly formed group Rising Juntos, and I also caught up with Ethan Silverstein for a quick word. What's up? How you feeling? I'm feeling great. City Council did the right thing, and I feel like the city will be more protected. Our landlords, you know, will be held accountable when they are not treating us fair. So I'm, I'm very happy. And what about the little additions at the end? How are you feeling when now that was happening? Well, you know, we never give up. We will continue to fight for tenants' rights. All right. Well, thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you.
You want to just give me a little update on how you feel about after what just happened? I'm feeling great. I think we got a, a pretty good tenant harassment ordinance out there. And, and the last minute wrangling, what did you think about? Um, I know you had to get up and kind of explain the, the one-to-one. I feel like they should have kept it in, but uh, how do you feel about um, losing those small items? You know, I would have preferred it happened uh, a different way, but, you know, we, we can live with this ordinance. We think it's good, and we thank the council for uh, taking bold action to protect tenants. And you think this um, is, you know, right up there with the ones that you mentioned earlier from Richmond and other cities, this is uh, offering similar protections? Yes, definitely. And can you remind me of your name and your uh, title? Uh, my name's Ethan Silverstein, and I'm a staff attorney at the ACE Institute. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, that wraps up my time. This is Pre Will and Franklin reporting at the Antioch City Council, where the City Council has just passed an ordinance providing tenants with anti harassment protections and protections against retaliation by landlords. Marching up to freedom Welcome back. You are listening to Full Circle right here on KPFA Radio 94.1 FM, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I am your host tonight, Freewill and Franklin, and you just heard some audio from a rally outside the Antioch City Council meeting and inside the City Council meeting this past Tuesday, July 25th, as community organizations rising juntos and the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment united with local tenants of Antioch to claim victory for tenants' rights. And that victory, as you just heard, came in the form of a anti-harassment and anti-retaliation ordinance put in place by the city of Antioch to protect renters and tenants of the city. To follow Rising Juntos, head over to Facebook and just search Rising Juntos. That's R-I-S-I-N-G-J-U-N. T-O-S. They're also online at risingjuntos.org. And of course, as always, we will post a link to all that information on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just within a couple of days of the airing of this show. Again, that's kpfaapprentice.org. And again, a quick reminder, if you did appreciate hearing that audio of the community coming together and fighting for their rights and winning, of course, and hearing what it's like when the community participates in the local government of their community, please consider heading on over to kpfa.org and making a financial contribution to this radio station. And if you do it during the hour of 7 to 8 p.m. tonight, right now, during this show, Full Circle, it not only shows your support for KPFA, but also this show, Full Circle. And another quick reminder that anybody that makes a donation of any size receives a special recording of Daniel Ellsberg's last public event with KPFA in February of 2018 at the King Middle School in Berkeley. 
At that time, Ellsberg speaks with KPFA's former national affairs correspondent, Larry Bensky, about his book, The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner. Ellsberg argues that the mere existence of nuclear weapons is a threat to all humanity. Ellsberg is best known for his leak of the Pentagon Papers, which detailed how the White House lied to the public about the Vietnam War for 30 years. Ellsberg passed away in June, uh, on June 16, 2023, and Ellsberg's life is an example of putting dissent into action by acting as a whistleblower, and KPFA has been instrumental in offering a platform for voices like Daniel Ellsberg to tell their story and inspire others to speak truth to power. And also, as you can tell, we are telling the stories like you heard so far tonight, the people coming together as a community and affecting local policy in their community to make that community a safer and more inclusive place for all of its residents. Again, if you are able to make a donation to KPFA tonight, head on over to kpfa.org and click on that Donate tab and give what you can. And also check out any related work to Daniel Ellsberg. I believe his book, um, The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner, um, is available there. Again, kpfa.org. And one more time for the phone number, if you'd like to call in and make a donation, that number is one 800 439-5732. And you can remember that by remembering 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Call anytime and make a donation. Well, let's continue with the show now because coming up next, we're going to hear from First Voice graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco. In the first two weeks of July this year, Sarah hosted the 5 o'clock KPFA show Flashpoints, filling in for regular host Dennis Bernstein. Coming up next, we'll hear her interview with an employee from Copperfield's bookstore as they discuss finding literature of hate speech placed within their books on their bookshelves. Check it out. Joining us now, a member of Copperfield's bookstore in Petaluma, California, and from Copperfield's Petaluma Union. I want to welcome you to Flashpoints, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you for having me. So. Sadly and scary, on June 21st, 2023, Copperfield's bookstore found white supremacist business cards placed in books. Tell us about this incident, what was found, and where. My coworkers that work in our used department uh, in the basement found white supremacist business cards um, sticking out of books in our World War II, our Holocaust, and our civil rights sections. Um, they were sticking out very obviously, um, so as people could see them, um, they were very boldly placed there. And it was a very obvious message to send to whoever sees them. And this is a very diverse bookstore, both like racially and LGBT. And so it, it sent a very clear message to everybody in the store and even just to customers that might have seen it. And this is the second time that it's happened since late March, which it was addressed by our corporate offices. And we are making moves to um, deal with it. But this one, uh, the first time it was a little more hidden in the books and, and this time was very obviously placed out. 
And the coworkers of mine who found it, they alerted those that were in the store first. So they made sure to go around and make sure everybody was okay. Um, and then they called our corporate offices um, to make them aware of the situation and that it was um, escalating in, in a sense of, of growing more bold in our opinion. I'm very sorry to hear that. How are you feeling today, especially coming on and, and telling your story? You know, a lot of people around the store are a little worried about this, especially in the socio-political climate that we're all dealing with, you know, on a daily basis and how it's kind of ramping up uh, for people in these areas. But um, I know that our store specifically has really come together to form this really lovely community and we've pulled together to support each other during an act of terror upon our store. And it's it's as, as scary as it is. And I've had um, a coworker tell me that he fears for his life coming in. Um, it has been also very welcoming and I guess not welcoming, but um, it's been very heartening to see um, the fact that we are taking the action into our own hands. Like we've moved the uh, sections that they've placed the uh, white supremacist cards in. Um, we've moved it so it's in a more clear line from our um, front register so that we can see it at all times. On the day that it happened, our manager made sure to go around to each and every store and like on with our local businesses that are around us. And she made sure to make them aware of what was happening. She didn't show them the, like the, the hatred that was on the cards, but she made sure that they saw what they were so they could be aware of it. Um, so it's, it's been sad for sure to know that such hatred has made its way to our community, but it's also been as much as I can say, really lovely to see how we've pulled together to support one another, which is the best thing that we can do. I mean, we've been getting a lot of support from the community for our store and from like our local community online profiles and stuff, making everybody aware of it. So the mood is still a little worried, but we have such a strong community that I feel we'll be able to take care of each other. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. So you mentioned some things that the bookstore and as a corporation is doing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what the bookstore uh, plans to do, what they can do? Have they gotten legal advice? It's still really early in the situation for us to be able to do much other than uh, moving things around and doing things for us to feel safe, safer in our store. Our corporation is Copperfields is definitely keeping their eye on it and they're making all of our other stores in the chain aware of what's happening. And we have contacted the local authorities just to let them know that this is something that's happening in the community and to keep their eyes out for it. That's really as much as we can do with such a short time. You know, nobody's really prepared for something like this. So it's kind of uh, mostly just seeing what we can do in the moment and um, trying to support each other as best as we can right now. What was the reaction of law enforcement? Um, I believe that they came in today for the first time um, to talk to us. And so we have a, an officer assigned to our case and it's really just been giving them the information that we need. So we've been, we've been getting support from a local officer, but I'm not too sure. I haven't, I haven't been the one handling that. Um, our assistant managers and our um, manager are the ones that are mostly been talking to them. So we've been getting support 
as much as we can in that situation um, when we have little to go on other than, you know, a, a very aggressive cards being left in our books. And so we decided, you know, before this interview that we weren't going to be naming any organizations to give them voice who are putting hate speech flyers or business cards in your books. However, is there anything that you can say to us about how open and upfront are these business cards? Is it like literally call this number, a website? How much detail was there if they're to be used as recruiting tools and not just, you know, fear mongering tools? On the backs of the cards, it has very clear uh, statements about um, how the white race is apparently disappearing and people that they label to be as other are meant to be put in their place, that it's the time to act. It's it's very scary, um, kind of, do you feel disenfranchised almost for white people specifically? And uh, having such a call to action, mostly, that's what the, the backs of the cards say. And I, and I haven't looked at the front of the cards. I don't really want to know anything about them. Um, I don't want them to hold any place in my mind. But the front of them, I believe, has their information. And um, we've only shared the back of the cards online on our Instagram post just so that people can see what is being spread and the, the, the clear intent and the hatred for people that they view as, quote unquote, not one of them. I am sorry that you are going through that. The Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, they indicate that racist flyering incidents across the nation in 2020 grew to well over 4,000 incidents across the nation. Uh, what can you tell us about if other bookstores that the corporate office owns or other local businesses or in the area, um, if they've also uh, been having flyers or business cards similar to this. So we have been reached out by the ADL, which is the Anti-Defamation League, um, and they have given us a little information on like how to handle this. Um, and so I would definitely suggest that if any businesses have been targeted like this to talk to them about it, because the information that they've given us, which is, you know, don't give them, pay them any mind, calling them out is good but not sharing their name has been very helpful and, and very affirming in choosing not to share them, you know, cause it's, it's not clear what to do in this situation, but I can say that this isn't an isolated incident. Other cards have been showing up in the area as like a clear act of terror. And that's from another organization that was shared with us. And it's, it's very clear that they want to make diverse workplaces uncomfortable and you're right, it has been trending lately. There was an incident in Santa Rosa that happened at another very diverse business, and they had hate speech um, on the front of their store. And the biggest thing that we can do is come together in solidarity and make sure that the community is aware of this and to, to really band together and make it clear that this kind of speech is not tolerated in any space and that we show support for one another, which has been, again, the, the best thing that's been happening to come out of this is the solidarity uh, of the community that has happened. And I know the uh, press Democrat from Sonoma County in California has reported on things similar. I think that you are absolutely correct in not giving specific hate mongers a voice here. I do have a question about, do you think that any books were sold with it in 
in it? Did any customers come to you and say that they had these in their books? Thankfully, no. Um, thankfully, we've been very vigilant in looking for them because like the, the first event happened, the first time we were, I guess, targeted by this group was in March. And uh, a customer was just perusing the section and they made us aware of it to which we did another sweep and, and we found the cards and we took them out. And ever since then, we've just been kind of going through those areas, making sure that they're clear, um, both upstairs in our new section and downstairs in our use section. And um, thankfully, very thankfully, nobody has gone home or bought a book that had hate speech cards in them, um, which is, you know, nice to know that we've been, nobody has to see it and that we're remaining vigilant for our community. Is there anything that you can share with us that the Anti-Defamation League said or that you've learned about in terms of how uh, we can, you know, heal, recover, bounce back if, if we feel targeted or see this kind of hate speech? We were just asking them about like our social media presence, if we were doing the right thing with sharing it and, and then sharing their name. And the best thing you can do is when you find anything like this is to, to not inform your friends, family, community, whoever it might be um, of their name, because then people will look them up and they might have websites. And then those websites, you know, those websites get numbers and then they could have ads on there and then you're inherently giving them revenue um whether or not it's out of curiosity or anger or you know pure pain at what you're seeing you know and like i've been saying you know the best thing that we can do is band together and um talk to one another really um make others aware so that you can get the proper support and reach out to us and, you know, reach out to your community because you're, you're not alone in what you're going through. And absolutely, you do not deserve what's happening to you. These are sad, angry people that, you know, just have nothing better to do than to go around to private businesses and, and spread hatred that holds no home there. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. So the Petaluma staff at Copperfield's bookstore voted to unionize just last month. And then could you just tell us a little bit about why you uh, voted to unionize? What was going on and how is it now? So for right now, we have officially been recognized as a union, but we're still in the negotiation process. So so what that means is we've they've said, yes, we see that you are a union. We're with the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World. And so now that we're officially recognized, we get to go to negotiations with um, our corporate offices to say, we would like this to happen. And then they can say, you know, it's it's a... Basically, it's opening the door for a conversation between us and them for the things that we would like to see improve. And we're in the throes of negotiating right now. And it's it's going swimmingly. It's actually going really well. So we wanted or we voted to unionize because um, we want to, you know, the cost of living in California is constantly going up and wages are not. Um, and we would like better health care for our workers. Um, we would like better pay for the work that we do and the industry knowledge that we carry. Um, and we're advocating specifically, and in this instance, 
is a good example of having proper training for moments like this. You know, on the daily, my coworkers and myself deal with homophobic people, racist people, transphobic people, and a lot of us don't know what to do, you know, when you're faced with either macro or microaggressions, and so we want to get proper training for ourselves to deal with that um, and also get proper training for our management so that they can come in and assist us uh, properly. And um, we, uh, if you aren't a full-time worker, you only get um, 24 hours of sick time, which does not refill. And so that's three shifts that you're sick and it's gone. And, and, you know, that's, we would like some more sick time that's going on because the, you know, we've all gone through COVID and, um, we're all, you know, still getting sick. And so we would like proper sick time. And it's really just kind of calling attention to the things that we just, uh, would like to be better. In your opinion, how has being part of a a union uh, been helpful in this situation or for you? It's been honestly really wonderful because with unionizing our store, not that we, it's a, it's a small enough store. I think we have under or a little over 20 employees, um, but we've all been talking to each other so much more since this has happened. And we were talking before, um, but just the immediate response that we could have to this, the text going out saying, are you okay? The conversations that we've been having, the awareness that we've been spreading, the, it would, it would feel a lot more lonely. And for me personally, a little more scary if I didn't have these strong, powerful people with me, these, these people that, um, you know, hold themselves up and, and, you know, it's allowed me to hold myself up. It's allowed our coworkers to share their fear with each other, but to do so in a place where you're safe and you can be lifted up. And, you know, with unionizing, we found a power within ourselves to, you know, immediately, uh, we were action changing the bookshelves. Um, we made a, we made, um, active changes that day to combat it. And um, we are able to hold other people accountable for their actions so that we can feel supported by our corporation that is currently with us, you know, and so we can, we have more of a voice now. And we're able to use that voice as any union does for the better. And we're bettering our situation day by day by building a community within ourselves and having a stronger unified voice. And so you gave me a short bio earlier. I don't know how much of it you're comfortable saying, but um, you know, it sounds like you've got a, um, a lot going for you. You've been here uh, working here for a while um, and you're on a, on a path to additional successes and you're creative. You just unionized the Copperfields Bookstore in Petaluma, California, and you are part of that Copperfields Petaluma Union. Sorry about the white supremacist leaflets that were put in some of the books at your store. And from what we're hearing, you all and your corporate are doing everything to help everyone who has seen this literature and to prevent others from seeing it. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you want to say? I would just again like to thank you for having me and for uh, giving us the voice to talk about what is going on in our community. 
um, and spreading that so other people can be aware. Thank you very much. And so I want just the absolute best for you and for and for everyone at Copperfields. Thank you. I wish the best for you too. And thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. All right. That wraps it up for us tonight. If you are able to contribute to KPFA, please head over to kpfa.org. If you want to hear more of the interviews that Sarah Blanco conducted on Flashpoints, it's the first two weeks of July on Flashpoints. Head over to flashpoints.net and just scroll down till you get to those two weeks. Again, the first two weeks of July. Another reminder, if you want to make a call-in donation, it's 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. We really appreciate everyone that called in and donated tonight. There's still a couple people that are online making a donation now. If you'd like to join them in these last couple minutes, please head over to kpfa.org. We got some great comments on the website last week. People really appreciated that great in-depth interview with John Burris. If you missed that, um, just head over to kpfaapprentice.org and check out last week's show. Also, we heard from Geraldine Bluford last week, the mother of Alan Bluford, who was killed by the Oakland police in 2012. All right, again, if you got a moment, Head over to kpfa.org and make a financial contribution to this station. We're just about out of time. A big shout out to Miss um, M. She's the executive director of this program. Again, myself, Freewell and Franklin. I'm the technical director of this show, Full Circle. I've also been your host tonight. Um, shout out to, again to everyone who's donated. Stick around because coming up next on KPFA is La Onda Bajita. And remember, everyone, while you're out there, please protect your health and also your humanity. Good night, everyone. Mm -hmm.